Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. In the name of Jesus, I want to be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Ghost, but I feel as though that God is is kind of giving a release to this moment, and I just want to let you know that what we're experiencing, what we're seeing, this is a glimpse of what I believe God has in store for the rest of this service. Amen. Is there anybody with some faith to believe that God has more? That God has already been touching, right? That we can already feel that the presence of the Lord is in this place. That we've already seen a glimpse of the glory of the Lord and what he's going to do today. Amen. But I believe that there's just a little bit more that God has for us. And I want to remain sensitive to the Holy Ghost. So I ask, do not let go of the feeling of the Holy Ghost that we have right now. Do not think that, I, I know that Living Hope is one of the most mature spiritual churches in the United States, and we have the ability to sustain waves and waves of the Holy Ghost. And I truly believe that if we were to stay right here, right now, that we can have an amazing service, and that we could see God do some amazing things, but I believe that there's a little bit more that God has for us. Amen. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to say thank you to the worship team for leading us into that. And I want, to, I want to say if today is your first time here at Living Hope, I would first like to say welcome home. Amen. Welcome home. I would also like to let you know that here in Living Hope we have a saying. We are a strong family of believers. And I want to let you know that our goal, I'm changing it. Our goal, our mission, the reason that we exist is to help build strong families through the preaching and through the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And to all of our guests, we just want to make you feel right at home. You're part of the family now. So don't act weird if we hug you. You can act weird if we try and kiss you on the cheek. That's weird. But a hug is cool. A handshake, a dap, whatever it is. But to all of our guests, we just want to make you feel welcome, and we want you to know that we appreciate you joining with us today. Amen. Today, at the end of our service, if you look at the back wall, the center door, the single door next to the open double doors, that is our guest reception. We want to invite every first time, second time, third time, guest uh, at the end of service we would like to invite you back to our guest reception we will be in that middle room and don't leave we have a gift for you surprise even I say surprise I don't know what's in the gift so it's a surprise to me and it'll be a surprise to you unless it's your second time you maybe got it on your first time and if it's your third time you probably aren't going to be surprised again 
So uh, we just want to show you, though, how much we love you, how much you mean to us, and how glad we are to have you with us. I, uh, I of course, want to give honor to our pastor and our first lady. As Trey mentioned, they are in North Carolina uh, this weekend ministering. Pastor's been preaching and teaching, and they will be uh, traveling home this evening. So if you would just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Pray that they have a safe trip in travel mercies. I'm not exactly what, I'm not sure what travel mercies are. I've always heard it prayed for. If you know what that is, uh, you know what to pray for. I don't know what travel mercies are. From context, I assume it means something like no traffic, uh, no police stops. And only green lights. That's what I would assume from context. Uh, so unless it means something different, you can just pray those things for them. And uh, I'm sure they will be blessed on their way home. Amen. All right. I would, uh, I would also like to give honor to my amazing and beautiful wife, uh, the mother of my unborn child. Amen. Listen, I, Jess, I love you, and I'm not scared to say it. You all hear me? I love my wife. I know I'm breaking new ground by saying that, but I love her. She is pregnant. We go uh, next week. We're going to do a, a test to figure out what it is. Two weeks, sorry. Uh, to figure out what it is. Uh, pray with us. Pray with us that it's like triplets. We just knock it out first time. No more kids. Not really. Not really. Yeah. I will say this. Parenting at this point has been so easy. And if it is this easy, I don't know what all the fuss is about. And I don't think that triplets would be an issue. So, all right, I better stop. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, we'll get off that. We'll get out of there as quick as we can went into it. If you have your Bibles or if you're a device person, and I'm sorry, Sister Simone, I didn't give you my uh, list of verses or anything like that. I apologize. Um, but if you have your Bible, if you'd like to turn with us to the book of the prophet Ezekiel, and we are going to the 47th chapter. And once you are there, we're going to start at the very first verse. Just so you guys aren't thrown off, I am going to be reading from not the KJV, but the NIV, so it may be just a tad different than what you're reading or seeing on the screen, depending on what your translation is. I see it's KJV on the screen. Um, but I just wanted to give you an awareness. If you're at the Ezekiel chapter 47, verse number one, please say amen. 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 All right, chapter 47. Verse number one, it says, The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. 
And then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was then knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was too or it was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross verse number 6 he asked me son of man do you see this then he led me back to the bank of the river whenever i arrived there i saw a great number of trees on each side of that river and he said to me this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the araba where is uh, where it enters the dead sea when it empties into the sea the salty the salty water there becomes fresh and swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the, this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will then stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Glam, there will be places. There will be places for spreading their nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. It says in verse twelve. This will be the final verse that we read. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the banks of the river. See, these leaves, these leaves of these trees will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will serve for food and their fruit and their leaves will serve for healing. Amen. And I feel the leading of the Lord in the direction of the Holy Ghost to speak to you all today under the title of There is a River. Amen. Before we go fur any further at all, can we just begin to seek after the Lord one last time? With every hand raised and with every voice lifted, can we just begin to welcome the presence of the Lord in this place? Amen. As we turn our will over to you, oh God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would come and meet us in this place. Lord, that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or think. Lord, that you would use me, God, as a vessel. God, for your spirit to flow through, oh God. Remove any ounce of me, Jesus. And Lord, let your anointing and the Holy Ghost be what speaks, Lord. Prepare our hearts, Jesus. Prepare our minds, God, for whatever it is, Jesus, that you have for us. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. You may be seated.
Amen. As I first begin, as I begin, I first would like to start with just bringing some context before we get back into our title passage of Scripture. See, and in order to do that, I feel it would be best for us to start with exactly who Ezekiel is. See, Ezekiel was a priest, and Ezekiel was a prophet. And when we first find that his ministry begins, it is during the darkest days of Judah's history. It's in this 70-year period of Babylonian captivity. See, Ezekiel is carried away just a few short years to Babylon at the age of 25. He was carried away just before the final assault on Jerusalem. And where chapter number one of the book of Ezekiel begins is that we see he is now 30 years old. And he is now living in the Babylonian captivity in a refugee camp on the river Kaibar. And to give some context of the important on his age, why even bring up his age? Why is that important context to have? It's that when Ezekiel turns 30, if he was back in Jerusalem, he would have started his career. He would have started his ministry as a priest in the house of the Lord. See, where he would have followed in the footsteps of his father, who followed in the footsteps of his father, who undoubtedly followed in the footsteps of his father. See, Ezekiel, from a very young age, age was preparing Ezekiel, from a very young age, was preparing for the spiritual career that would have begun whenever he turned 30. From a young boy, from a very young man, he would have been studying and memorizing the Pentateuch and studying the words of the prophets and studying the words of the psalmist. But at age 25, the dream and all he had been working towards was quickly flushed down the drain. But it wasn't until he was 30 years of age and on the river's edge still is where God began to open Ezekiel's eyes. See, in the very first chapter of the book of Ezekiel, you can read the account of the first time God opened Ezekiel's eyes. You can read the account of what God showed Ezekiel. It says that the heavens opened up and a heavenly chariot carried by four human-like figures with four faces Four wings and calf's feet. To me, that's not very human-like. I would say almost not at all human-like. But he says that they had the appearance of a human form outside of their four faces, four wings, and calf's feet. Their hooves were clacking around. And what they carried with them was a throne. And Ezekiel describes what he saw as only the glory of God. And as soon as he saw the glory, as soon as he saw that concentration of God, as soon as he saw the glory of God, the manifestation of God, he fell down on his face because he was just completely overwhelmed 
by what he had been seeing. But what the most astounding thing I would say about the vision Ezekiel saw was that the glory of God met him exactly where he was in captivity. On the banks of a river in a refugee camp. The glory of God met him there. See, and up until this point, it's very interesting if you would study this out. Up until this point, the glory of God only dwelt in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. See, God in his great mighty and omnipotence, in his vastness, uh, fills the entire universe. But we need to realize that in all of his vastness, God had a dwelling place. See, that God was omnipresent, but God's glory also had a physical address. And that place was the temple. And see, from this place, we would see that God would rule. And this place, we see that God would reign. And in this place, we see that God would speak. And in this place, we see that God would direct. And God would commune with his people in that place. Amen? Amen. And that place was supposed to be the temple in Jerusalem. See, we read in Exodus chapter 25, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell amongst them. Amen? Amen. See, the glory of God had a physical address in the temple. He would be manifested as a cloud or as a pillar of fire in that temple. He would hover over the Ark of the Covenant and he would dwell between the cherubims. And in this place, God would lead and God would direct. And you could go and receive whatever it is that you needed in this place. See, if you needed forgiveness... That was found in the temple. When you needed to be anointed for your ministries, that was found in the temple. When they needed direction on what to do next, that was found. When they went to the temple, amen. See, when they needed healing, they went to the temple because in the temple is where the presence of the Lord was. Because in the temple is where the glory of God dwelt. Because in the temple is where his address was, where he lived, where he dwelt. But in Ezekiel's vision, but in Ezekiel's vision, that is not where he is finding or where he is seeing the manifestation of God's glory. He is not in that temple. But why? Seriously, tell me. No, I'm just kidding. But why is he not in the temple? We find later on, if you were to read, and, and I apologize in advance, it's, I'm preaching the entire book of Ezekiel in a way, but uh, we find later on in chapter number 10 that we see the reason that God is not in that temple. That God is no longer dwelling in that place, in his permanent address. In chapter 10, it shows us, and God shows Ezekiel by a vision, the same one. The, the, the four guys with, with cow feet and wings and four faces raising up and leaving. We see the reason, and it's idolatry. See, the people of Israel were openly worshiping other gods. But not only were they worshiping other gods, they were doing it right in the presence and right 
in the house of God's glory. They were doing it right in the presence of God. They were performing idolatrous worship in the presence of the one true living God. They were performing idolatrous worship. They were worshiping false gods, false idols, right in front of the one true living God. At his home address. And what we need to know and what we need to understand is that what uh, is that God will never share the glory that is deserved to him with anybody else. God is never going to share his glory. He is never going to share the honor that is deserved with him and deserved to him with anybody else. So what we see in 10 is that all this this false worship is happening. All these false praises are going forth. And God gets upset. Because in the one place that in Exodus we read that he ordered them to build so he could have communion. That he could have conversation. That he could, see we could never be able to understand. We could never be able to see. We could never be able to experience the fullness of God's glory. We, couldn't, we would never be able to comprehend it. So what God was doing is he created a sanctuary. He created a place where a manifestation of God's glory can come. Where his people can come and interact back and forth with him but they perverted it they changed it they took what was meant for just God and gave it to lesser things so in chapter 10 Ezekiel sees another vision of the same chariot that was carrying the glory of God that was in chapter 1 we see it rise up out of the temple it goes and, and, and then it, uh, it fades quickly into the horizon God's glory leaves the holiest of holies and abandons his people in their sins and in their wrongdoing. And Ezekiel begins then, it really really begins then that he, he begins his mission, his journey to warn everybody. I have to tell, he's doing crazy things. He's laying for 390 days on one side eating food cooked over. Droppings is the best way to say it. He's cutting off his hair. He's burning it. He's going and he's, he's making uh, Lego, Lego Jerusalem and smashing over it with his feet, destroying it. He is going above and beyond to try and communicate, uh, trying to prophesy to the, exiles of the Jeru- uh, uh, to the exiles of the destruction of Jerusalem and what God is going to tho- do to those that remain in Jerusalem. But the people, the people in exile, the people of Jerusalem, the God's people, they ignore the cries to turn away from uh, uh, the, the cries to repent. They ignore the cries to turn away from their wicked ways. The people of God will not obey. So destruction begins to rain down, and then Jerusalem falls completely. And we see that everything, everything that Ezekiel warned them about, every cry, every, every crazy thing that he did to try and prevent what was happening came to pass. Everything he did, everything he said, everything he predicted came to pass. And I realize that I'm hurrying now through about 30 chapters of this book. But in the middle of the ashes, in the middle of judgment, a promise 
arises. The promises of a future hope. And God says through Ezekiel that I myself will return. Hallelujah. See, God says through Ezekiel that I myself return. That I myself will come as a shepherd. And I will bring my people. I will come as a new David. I will come as a new promise. I will come as a new son. I will come as a new king. And I will rescue my people from all the corners of the earth. And I will come myself and gather my people. He began to make a promise out of John. A promise was born that it's not just that God himself was coming, that he was coming and I'm going to gather my people. They may be astray. They may be everywhere. They may be hurt. They may be broken, but I'm coming specifically for them, that I'm coming, not somebody else, but I'm coming myself because I love you. I care for you. In the name of Jesus. See, there was a a promise born in the ashes of judgment. Saying, I will come for my people. I will gather them from the four corners of the earth. I will come and gather my people. And we see that beautiful prophecies that God has given to Ezekiel. We see these beautiful prophecies. These beautiful things being spoken out of the mouth of Ezekiel. These things that that in a valley of dry bones, these bones are going to come back to life. We're going to see restoration. We're going to see amazing works happen. Beauty begins to come from these promises. Faith begins to arise. Amen. So in the ashes of judgment, a new promise is born. See that after the destruction of Jerusalem, we see that God gives a vision of a new and constructed city. So where God and it, God gave prophecies of warning, God gave warnings, please repent, please turn away from your wicked ways, please come back to me, please do these things. If you don't, there's going to be destruction, there's going to be peril, there's going to be loss of life. And it happens. But now, there's things of a new city, a beautiful city, a new city, constructed city. And see, Ezekiel, he receives a vision of a new temple that will be restored, a temple that will be rebuilt. And we see the glory of God, which had had abandoned his people, returns and it begins to hover over the temple. So that's God's glory. See, not just in the temple, but it began to hover above it. So from anybody that looked, as they looked for the temple, they saw that there was something. There was God's glory hovering over. There was a beacon of hope on the horizon, there was a promise of restoration happening in the new. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. See, God, re- uh, God returns and he hovers so they can see that God's glory can be discovered again. And this is important. This is important. See, Ezekiel then says that the return, he begins to describe this. See, this is the third time that he's seen these four-faced, four-winged, cow-feeted men and the glory of God, the throne on top of it. This is the third time 
But he, what he says is interesting. It's important. He says that the return was just as glorious as when he had first seen it. Hallelujah. <laughs> that it was first seated, it was just as glorious as, as he was whenever he was sitting on the edges of the river. And it was just like the glory that I saw walk away from the temple, just disappear into the horizon. And he sees the glory come back into the temple. And God says that in this new temple, I will never depart. And my people will be able to find me and get direction forever. And from this new temple, we find where we begin this morning. Where there is a river that begins to flow out the temple steps. And I find it important to point out that this temple, this temple has a river that doesn't come from a king's palace. See, this, does, this river does not come from a government building. See, it does not come from a marketplace. It does not come from a place of business. It does not come from an athletic arena. But this river and this river alone starts and flows from the place where God lives and God dwells. There's a river that started not from the things of this world, but there is a river that started and flowed out of the presence and the glory of God. There's something that started. It says that it began to run down the altar. It began to go out the front door. It began to go down. And as he went around the walls, he'd see, he'd see it. It's what? This is a little more than just a trickle. I'm seeing something that's a little more than just a trickle. It's starting to get deeper. They begin to walk down it. Oh, it's ankle deep. Now this thing is getting deeper. And it's getting deeper fast. I don't know, I don't know about the construction of rivers. I've never made a river. But I know that it doesn't get deep that quick. But they go a thousand meters and it's a little deeper. They go a thousand more, it's to their knees. They go a thousand more, it's to their waist. And what begins to happen? Life begins to happen. Life begins to take place. See, this river, this river starts. And this river flows from where God's glory dwells. And it started as a trickle, but it turns into something that can captivate anyone that gets caught in its flow. And anything that is in this river or that starts to touch this river, anything that starts to touch this river begins to get life. Anything that flows by starts to spring up fresh and new beginnings. This river, as soon as it touches the Dead Sea, a sea that has been dead so long that nothing can live there, where no fish could survive, nothing could be sustained. But the moment the trickle from the new tabernacle hits in, life begins. Oh, oh. See, it doesn't matter how dead it was. As soon as the river touched it, it came back to life. It doesn't matter how dead the situation. It doesn't matter how dry the area. As soon as the river from the glory of God begins to touch, life begins new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wish the other half would understand what I'm talking about. 
that there is something that comes from the presence of God that brings fresh and new life. There's an anointing and the presence of God and the glory of God that can change situations where things were once one way, now they're new. Where things were once dry, now they live. See, the things, <laughs> what's crazy, though, we, it's not just that it came back to life. <laughs> it wasn't just that it came to life. It wasn't that it just it got something run by it. It got a little wet, and it changed its composition for a day or a week or till the dry season came. But it just wasn't that it was just alive, but this thing had a sustaining power to it. So it was able to stay alive. So not only was it brought to life, but it stayed alive. See, in the trees, they began to bear fruit. See, the things that stayed connected to the river. The things that stayed connected to the river began to grow. But not just grow, they began to thrive. See, what you need to understand that this river... It brought so much life to this land. What it began to do is it began to heal the land. See, this river, this river brought life. But the book of Ezekiel ends. It's really, like, it's really easy to preach and scream about the promises. <laughs> it's really easy to preach and scream about the promises. But the book of Ezekiel ends and... They didn't get the promise. See, they had access. They heard the word. They heard the, the things of the promise. They heard about the promise, but they never actually saw the promise. See, they, they experienced the destruction, but they never experienced the new life. They experienced the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of their homes, of their families. They've experienced all of this, but they never got to experience the river that flows from the presence of God. They never got to experience that. Experience that. How depressing is that? I feel bad for them. Not sarcastically either. I feel bad for them. See, the book of Ezekiel ends before the promise of fulfillment even happened. See, it shows the judgment and it talks of the promises. But where? Where can I find this promise? God, that I've experienced destructions. God, I've had my life crumble around me. God, that I've lost loved ones, Jesus. God, that I've had hurts. God, that I've had pains. That I've had people do me wrong. I've lost my job. God, where's the fulfillment of the promises? Where is the temple? Where can I find the promises? Where can I find this glory? Where can I find this river? Because we need the river. 
I know that there is people in this room that are searching and can't find a river. That they've experienced the destruction. That they've experienced the pains that I can't even begin to imagine. They're going through situations right now that are completely out of their control. They're experiencing total and complete destruction. But where, oh where is the temple and where is the river that I can get to? Oh God, God, where is the promises? Where is the river that I can't find? God, we need the river. God, we need. See, I need you to understand something that I may have just rushed through an entire book of the Bible and told one of one of the many small things that had happened throughout the entirety to the people of Israel and how they turned their backs on God and God abandoned them. But I really could talk about any nation. We use Ezekiel in the story in Ezekiel as a, a, a for instance. But really, this is a plug and play that we could talk about any nation. We could talk about any situation because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. All of us have been broken. All of us have been hurting. could talk about any nation, but most importantly, I could talk about you and I. Because we, like sheep, have all gone astray. All of us have gone astray because there is not a single person in this room or under the sound of my voice that hasn't fallen short of the glory of God. See, we may not have been worshiping the other gods or had idols like the Israelites did. We may not have done it in the exact same way, but every single person in here has fallen. Every single person in here has sinned. Every person at some point has gone astray, and we in our brokenness have worshiped at the altar of of false gods that cannot hear our cries. See, there's some of us that may have made an idol out of alcohol. There's some of us that may have made an idol out of our jobs, putting our career in front of other things. There may be some that have been addicted and made an idol out of lustful thoughts and feelings and entertainment. See, there may have been some that have made an idol out of drug addictions. There may have been some, it doesn't matter. If you made an idol, we've all gone astray. See, and at the end of it, we begin worshiping these gods, worshiping these gods that can't hear our cry. And we never once see life come from it. But all we see is death and destruction. Amen. And can anybody testify that they've found in their time that they've served the Lord, that they've turned their back, or if this is your first time in here, that there are some idols in your life that have taken place. And never once has that idol fulfilled you the way that Jesus can. See, all of these things, all of these things made us bow to them. All of these things that don't bring us life, but we find a trail of dead things. Where, God, where is the river? 
God, where is the promise? God, where is this river? See, we don't need... Uh, so we, we don't really even find the answers if we were to read the entirety of this book of the Bible. If we were to read entirety of Ezekiel, we wouldn't even find the answers of, of where is that river. We wouldn't find it in that book. It wouldn't be until we looked all the way at the very New Testament. And we would find ourselves in the very first chapter written by the youngest disciple of Jesus. And as he's writing to Jewish believers to show them that Jesus is the Christ. And that Jesus is the Messiah. And here, let me tell you what John said in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then we go to verse 14, and it said, And the Word became flesh. And the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us, and was beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be thinking to yourself right now, where is the river? Where is the glory? It's Jesus Christ. See, He came. He came and he did a new temple, all right? He took the fullness of the Godhead and he put it in the flesh bodily. And he came down and he died for our sins. And he rose again that we may live again. Hey, man, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, that this place, this temple, whenever God did that, whenever the, the, the Holy Ghost became the way, that is the new temple. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. We are the new temple. We are the new temple. He wants to abide in you. He wants to live in you. And let me tell you something. We may be living in a destructed city, a city broken down to completely nothing. We may have, Jerusalem is a fascinating, uh, just the history alone. But in this time of being broken down, did you know that they had no city walls? They had nothing to protect them. Do you know what a city with no walls is? easily conquered and there are some of us that have been easily conquered easily broke down easily defeated and living in a destructed state carrying on burdens pains and things for a very long time because we've not been able to find the new river that flows but let me tell you something that this altar and this church is a church that believes in the one true God and the God that can come down and fill you with the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. And that city that was once old, that city that was once broken down, can come new. Jesus, I'm going to open up these altars. But I'm open. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us 
every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.